Everything that we do is driven by some form of motivation. It might be as primal as survival or protection, but it can also involve selfish motives like seeking praise and recognition. So what is it that should motivate us in Christian service? Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich shows how John the Baptist answer to his followers answers the question for us too. It's all about Jesus. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Only Jesus, from the book of John, chapter 3. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with you guys this morning as we gather around His Word, see what He has to say. As I said, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 22 through 36. I want to apologize ahead of time. I don't know it's whether the tail end of the cold or the truckload of pollen all over everything, but my asthma is flaring. And if I have to pause at some point to kind of catch my breath, um, I haven't forgotten what I was doing. I'm just trying to get caught up on uh, on my breath there. So uh, just stay, stick with me if that should happen or if I start coughing a little bit. But uh, anyway, all right, we're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. 22 through 36. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John, and they said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness, and that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly, because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, he that, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal to God, that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to come into your house, Lord. It is always a truly a blessing and an honor and a privilege to gather around your word, to, to study your word, to hear your word preached, to meditate on it. Lord, it is also truly a privilege to be able to lift your name in praise and worship, to pour out our hearts before you. Now, Lord, as we go into the sermon, we just ask that you open our hearts and minds that we might be receptive to your truths this morning. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here presenting your word, but I just ask that you take me and use me as you see fit. 
Take away any distraction, pride, selfishness, whatever it might be, Lord. Just take it all away that I might be focused and I might be emptied of anything of my own doing and that you fill me with your spirit that I might speak only the words that you've laid upon my heart. And Lord, help us as a church as we continue to move forward. Help us to always be outward reaching, looking to those in the community around us to share your gospel, to share your love, to share your peace, and to administer to any needs that we might be presented with, Lord. And Lord, help us as individuals as we walk through our days, whether it be in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, wherever it might be, Lord. Let us always be an example of your love, sharing your gospel, looking for opportunities to share the light in this dark world that we live in. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us of the times that we've sinned against you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The time period we're talking about this morning in the book of John is a, a time period of transition. And I say that because John the Baptist, as you all know, was kind of the front end of Jesus' ministry. He came proclaiming the coming Savior and kind of laid the groundwork for Jesus' arrival. And upon Jesus' arrival, John didn't just throw his hands up and say, Okay, I'm done. We know that Jesus can, or John continued to preach and share the gospel. But we know that because even as Jesus approached the Jordan that one day, John was there baptizing and preaching. And he ended up baptizing Jesus. But this period that we're talking about here, there seemed to be somewhat of a transition. And John's followers had picked up on the fact that more and more people seemed to kind to move towards Jesus Christ. They came to him complaining about how such large crowds um, seemingly were being drawn to Jesus and his apostles while they were conducting their ministry. And the gist of what was going on here was that John's ministry was beginning to be eclipsed by Jesus' ministry. The ministry of our Lord and Savior. And the loyal disciples of John were jealous. They're like, hey, what's going on here? We used to, there used to be such a following for you, John. And now they all seem to be shifting over to Jesus. And they, it made them feel threatened somewhat. Now, John had been the star of the show for a long time, so to speak. As in their eyes, he was their primary leader. Despite the fact that the whole time he was preaching about a coming king of kings, and now suddenly he began to take a back seat. He began to take a back seat to Jesus. And it would have been easy for John to, uh, to quietly let the whole situation ruffle his feathers, saying, hey, I've kind of been uh, eclipsed here, I've been dethroned, so to speak. For so long, he had denied himself. For so long, he had dedicated his existence to the, laying the groundwork, laying the path for Jesus' coming ministry. He suffered the kind of rejection and scorn that would be understood for somebody who was doing what he was doing in the day and the culture that he was. And he could have reacted in so many different ways. So many selfish ways, So, in fact. His ministry was seemingly being diminished. And the natural human reaction would have been to somehow try to, to reassert himself. Say, well, let's, let's think about this. Let's start trying to do things differently. So that maybe we can rebuild the ministry. Maybe we can rebuild and get those crowds coming back to us. <clears throat> now the interesting means of doing this is in a sinful world is to do one of two things. Or to some combination. 
He could try to begin to enlarge or exalt or promote himself, play himself up, and try to find some way to minimize or diminish the competition, so to speak. So what he could have done is try to somehow kind of put, throw some shade at Jesus' ministry and at the same time trying to lift his ministry up if that was his intent. The sad part about seeing this and thinking about this is that we're reminded in many ways of the foolish competitions we seem to find in Christianity today. And this is particularly true when we start getting around church plants and missions. I can't tell you how many times I've been exposed to, and I'm not saying this collectively as all of them are this way, but how many times I've been exposed to other missions, other church plants, who it seems like it's a competition to compare church numbers. Like it was some sort of, you're doing better than me because you're doing a better job than me, or so-and-so is doing a better job than so-and-so. And it's frustrating when I see that kind of thing. It becomes a comparison of average attendance and recent baptisms. And the reality is this isn't unique to this circumstance. It isn't unique to our situation today. Or even our millennium for that matter. We see the Apostle Paul reference back to a similar occasion when he addressed the church at Philippi in Philippians 1, 15-17. Where he said, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul was pointing out, some were actually in the ministry of preaching Christ, were doing so with jealousy and competition in their hearts. They were in it to make a name for themselves. Now, we don't know any preachers like that today, do we? Well, there's quite a few, actually. Many of them are on TV. I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them. Apparently, even during this period in Christianity, some viewed it as who would get the most converts, whose church could grow the largest. But understand something. This thinking has no place in Christianity. We need to remember, we need to be constantly aware we're doing this for the Lord, for His glory, for His honor, for His exaltation. And there's no place for this in evangelism or church building, certainly. But our society from a very early age teaches us that in order to be considered successful, we have got to excel and in doing so surpass the efforts and achievements of other people. I mean, think about it. Everything is based on that. Sports competitions. How are you successful in sports? Well, you do better than most everybody else. You do better. You score more points. How do you get a higher rank in academics? Well, you do better than everybody else. You score higher on tests. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but that's how we are kind of wired growing up. How do you get promoted at work? You do better than everybody around you. Show your competencies. So we kind of get this mindset that everything is based on our success is measured by how well we do what we're doing. And unfortunately, when we go into church work, we don't lose that measuring stick and understand that the measure of success is simply the obedience to God's call. 
So therefore, the best way to determine how to measure up to others is, and by the world's view, is to compare constantly ourselves to those who we perceive to be in competition with. Those who share a common goal, but we've got to do better so that we can come out on top. The key to how we should view our efforts in serving the Lord and Savior lies in a few words that John gave in response to his followers. You see, all of his life had been pointing others to Jesus. That's whole, his whole existence was all about pointing others to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. His whole life was based on that. From the very womb, he even recognized the significance and the importance of the one for whom he labored. And it wasn't lost on him even at the time he was approached by his apostles or his disciples. So let's take a look at his statements here to his followers. And, and in turn, we can draw out of that a means to approach our life of service to Jesus Christ and understand how we should measure, how should we should, uh, our attitude and our approach to everything that we do for the Lord Jesus. And the first thing that we have got to understand fundamentally before anything else is that any and all credit belongs to God. Any and all credit for what we do belongs to God. John's first statement right out of the gate really kind of frames the whole context of service to God. When he says, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from above. Now, this is not in any way minimizing what Jesus was accomplishing. It was not as if to say, well, he couldn't be doing it if God wasn't helping him. He wasn't trying to minimize Jesus as a person in saying that. Jesus himself even said that God the Father was the role and purpose of what he was doing. No, but what he was declaring an absolutely critical truth for all of us to remember. Right away, he points out that any ability, any success, any accolades belong to the very person, the very one who made it all possible. And that's critical for us to keep in mind. Anytime things go well, we've got to remember who is it that's allowing us to do this? Who is it that's giving the strength, the power, the opportunity to serve Him in the first place? In fact, he was, John was telling his followers that if Jesus was seeing more success in His ministry, it was because God had given it to Him. Paul made reference to this very same thing, once again, in his letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4.7. For who maketh thee to differ from one another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Paul was commenting here that anything and all things that they had or had accomplished could not be used as a reason for boasting or self-congratulating. He was saying, if you've got it, it's got, you've got it because somebody gave it to you. That's somebody being God Himself. If you succeeded in it, you succeeded in it because God allowed that success. Gave you the ability to do that. The only appropriate recognition was not due to them or for themselves. Someone once made the comment, Many people will say they give God all the glory. 
But in actuality, they kind of hold back a little spot in their heart for their own worship. I want you to think about that for a second. Some people, many people say they give God all the glory. But in actuality, they reserve a spot in their heart for their own worship. If we give God all the glory, there's none left for you. There's none left for us. If you really give God all the glory for the things that you are able to accomplish in this life, there will be no glory left over for you to lay upon yourself. There will be no room for you to sit back and revel and think, what a wonderful job I did. What a wonderful work I've accomplished. The Bible speaks many, many times. Many occasions on the dangers of pride. It's the one sin that we all have a particular vulnerability to. Now when we accomplish something in our life, particularly when we consider it somewhat noteworthy, it's only natural to kind of sit back for a moment and think, man, I did awesome. Didn't I do great? I done real good. But is this self-exaltation okay? Or even appropriate? Given the dangers of pride and our natural tendency towards self-love. We'll look at it from this standpoint. When we pridefully consider ourselves and our accomplishments, we are boasting. Albeit quietly, perhaps, but boasting nonetheless. We are proclaiming our goodness. And for the moment, whether we recognize it or not, we are effectively worshiping ourselves. Man, I done real good. I'm something special. Now, Christian, that phrase, worshiping yourselves, should cause a reflex of disgust in you. The concept of us worshiping ourselves should cause you to cringe when you hear that expression. And if it doesn't, then perhaps you have become a little too accustomed to actually doing it. The outcome of anything we endeavor to do that is good is a result of God working through us in our lives. This is what Paul alluded to in 1 Corinthians 3.7. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I can promise you that you accomplish absolutely nothing that God does not allow. That God does not somehow have a hand in. Paul's proclaiming here in this verse that the person who planted is nobody special, nor is the one who watered. But that all the credit belongs to God, regardless of how skillfully, powerfully, accurately the other two may have appeared to do their jobs. Remember that next time you accomplish something. Over the years, there have been times where things have gone particularly well at work or gone particularly well somewhere. 
And I find myself even at times getting caught up thinking, I've been real good. And I have to take a step back and say, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute here. Who is really to credit for what is accomplished, what is done, what has happened? And I have to remind myself that I would have accomplished nothing had God not been a part of it. So it is a constant effort on our behalf to try to remember that God needs all the credit. God deserves all the credit. He is worthy of all the credit. And church work is where it particularly gets dangerous. Because it's real easy for us to fall in that trap. We've got to remember because of the very nature of the labor, God is clearly working behind the efforts and has the power to make it successful. But we can't limit that. We can't, we've got not to allow our, our consideration of the truth to be limited in any way just to work we do supposedly in His name through the church. Because really when you think about it, Everything all throughout our day should be done in His name. Remember the Scriptures teaches us that everything, everything we do, right down to eating and drinking, should be done in a way to give God the glory. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. Do we live our day, do we go through our day-to-day -day routine, our day-to-day -day activities, and stop and think, am I doing this in a way that gives glory to God? Because the Bible tells us we should. That's true of our jobs, our schoolwork, our community service, anything, anyone. And one of the best ways of remembering that everyone should be, everything should be done to the glory of God is to set out to achieve those things that will accomplish just that. Set out to achieve those things that will achieve and accomplish bringing glory to God. And that brings us to the next point. And that is that our goals should never be based on us. Now John's next statement to his followers here talks about how the friend of the bridegroom rejoices at the voice of the bridegroom. This is a very interesting illustration when you start to understand the culture and, the kind of, and what went on during that time period. According to William Barclay, the role of the friend of the bridegroom was one of tremendous responsibility in the Hebrew wedding. He acted as the liaison between the bride and the groom. He arranged the wedding. He took out the invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. And he had one final special duty. He was to guard the bridal chamber until the arrival of the groom. And upon hearing the voice of the groom, his responsibilities were complete. And he would go away rejoicing at that point. Why would he go away rejoicing at that point? Why would that be significant? Because the wedding went so well? As if to say, I hope all of you that attended this wedding recognize my hard work and endless labor that went into making sure it went the way it did. No, that's not why he rejoiced. 
He rejoiced because at the arrival of the groom at the bridal chamber, he realized and recognizing that the desires, the will of the groom had been accomplished and fulfilled and that without the bridegroom, none of that would have been possible. So the friend of the bridegroom's goal throughout the whole process would be to see that the groom's desires were met and his will was fulfilled. Did you catch that? The mindset of the friend of the bridegroom throughout that entire process was to see was that his desires were met and his will were fulfilled. And once he recognized that that had happened, he went away rejoicing. Not at his work, but at the fact that the bridegroom had been satisfied. Whenever we set out to accomplish whatever it is we endeavor to do, it should be determined in such a way that accomplishing it is in accordance with and in line with the will of God. It should fulfill the desire and the will of God. In other words, in all of our goals and our desires should be to please God and to do His will. Not just to please ourselves, to do what we want. Our happiness, if we are genuinely in love with our Lord and Savior, is tied inextricably to that which makes God happy. And should not ever run independent of that. What makes us happy should never be outside the will of God. When our goals, our desires are set up like that, and when our brothers and sisters in Christ see great success in their ministries and their endeavors for the kingdom, we rejoice. Not necessarily at their success, but at God's will being done. God's kingdom being exalted. God's name being uplifted. Not because of their success, but because God's will has borne fruit. There are two connections here that I want to make note of. First, notice John's comments how he rejoices at the sound of the bridegroom's, in other words, Jesus' voice. That brings us to the verse where we see Jesus' mother arrive at the house of Elizabeth, John's mother. Remember, when Elizabeth was pregnant with John, Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, showed up at her house one day. And this was what happened. We see this in Luke 1.44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salvation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. This was Elizabeth speaking, saying the moment that Mary showed up with the Savior in her womb, John in Elizabeth's belly leaped for joy. The simple arrival of Jesus was enough to bring joy to the unborn yet John the Baptist. Now tell me again that life begins at conception or be begins at birth. When John responded to Jesus' arrival in the womb. Even at this time, apparently, John the Baptist's joy was fulfilled even at the sound of the bridegroom, in other words, at Jesus' mother's voice. 
The other things that seems to hint it, it, it at it is that John's proclamation about the timing of the arrival of the bridegroom is indicative of the closure of those friends, his responsibilities. It is almost as if John is announcing that his part in heralding and preparing the way for the Messiah was coming to the close. And inasmuch he rejoiced that the focus was now on Jesus. You see, as Jesus' ministry had eclipsed his, he rejoiced in the fact that everybody was looking to Jesus now. He wasn't upset that his attention, the attention that he was getting was being diminished. He was excited that Jesus was being increased. His goal was to prepare the way, and now that the one who was the way had arrived, he celebrated that his role in the will of God had been fulfilled. But then John makes a comment. John makes a comment that is the epitome of our service to God, and that brings us to the last point. And that is that we shouldn't desire to even be known. We should not even desire to be known. We should not have a des desire to make a name for ourselves. John's comment here should be the mantra for our Christian service. And what was it that John said? John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is a powerful statement, folks. It is a powerful statement that we should remind ourselves of constantly. As we become more and more eclipsed by Christ, people see less of us and more of Jesus. We are told all throughout scriptures that we are to be like Christ. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to strive to be like Him. Why? So people can look at us and say, man, what a great Christian you are. What a good person you are. So that people can think highly of our Christian walk. So that they can admire how far we've come in our journey to fulfill our responsibility. No, that's not why we do it. The idea is that when they look at us, they don't see us. They see Jesus. They see Jesus in us. Even in our earthly endeavors, we should desire to be overshadowed so heavily by the declaration of Jesus in our lives. That is what people remember. Not that we were a good manager, a good teacher, a good mother, a good father, a good student, a good whatever. They should look at us and see Jesus Christ. And when that day comes that people think back at us, think back about us, what will they remember? There's a song that came out, I don't know, four, four, three, four years ago or so. They had a powerful statement as one of their verses. And it goes like this. It says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. And there it is, summed up in two words. Only Jesus. That's what matters. Not you. Not me. Not what we've accomplished. Only Jesus. This is what we should strive to have people remember when we are gone.
There are people that strive to be known as a, a great accomplishment in business and wish to have buildings and libraries named after them. Those who strive to be known as the one who worked tirelessly for environmental or peace causes. There are those who strive to be remembered as one who was willing to give up all to reach out to remote villages and tribes with the gospel even. There are those who strive to ascend the ranks of churches and church associations so that they can be remembered fondly as one who contributed to the work of their church and churches. But when it comes right down to it, folks, only Jesus. That is all that needs to be remembered. That is all that matters. That is the only name by which we are saved and through whom we find eternal life. And it's through the work of no other person, no other church, no other association that we can credit what awaits us when it's all said and done. Only Jesus. What matters in your life today? What matters in your life about your accomplishments? What do you want people to remember about you when your time on this earth is done? I hope that it's only Jesus. And the best way you can begin on a journey to say, all that matters about my life is only Jesus. It's to understand how important it is for Him to be your Lord and Savior. Because you know what? The only way you're going to be saved, the only way you're going to get to heaven, the only way that you're going to be reconciled to God is only Jesus. There is no other way. He tells us He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father except by Him. <coughs> only Jesus, folks. Not through good works. Not through being a good person. Not through church attendance. Not even through studying your Bible and praying a lot. Only Jesus. Is that what your life is about today? Only Jesus? Is that what you've put your faith in today? Only Jesus? Why not make it that way today? Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne once again this morning. We are grateful for this time together, Lord. And Lord, as we venture back out from your house and this time we've had together, Lord, let us always be mindful of what you've shown us here today. Let us always be living our lives in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. Let our lives, our purpose, our very being be for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is for you. Let us look to exalt you, to glorify you, to show you to others through the lives that we live. That they might be drawn to you, then they might come to once again understand that it's only Jesus. Lord, just have your will and way in all the lives that are represented here today or that are here at the sound of my voice, Lord. Just continue to lead, guide, direct them, burden them with whatever it is in their lives that you would have them to do. Burden them with the Spirit in a way that they might respond according to your purposes and your honor and glory. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. 
Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and Beyond Pod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church Space Hyphen Space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.